Yeah, what we are. We are just a couple of us missing today, which is okay. We're going to have Brother Todd preaching upstairs this morning on Mary and Martha. Yes? Awesome. It's funny, I mentioned that to Kim yesterday, and she says, Wow, I was just thinking about that story a few minutes ago. She said, All right, sinner, this is for you this week. I can tell. I can tell. Uh, yes. All right, let's open up in the word of prayer. Lord of the narrow path and the needle's eye, we give you thanks this morning for your sovereign care and protection over our life and for all that you say and do to us through the Word, through the fellowship of the saints, through the love that we have for one another, for a time that we had with family, for opportunities to see and to be reminded that the lost are perishing and our families around us, um, that their talk and their conversation and their priorities betray um, their lifestyle tells us what is going on in them, and that there is uh, they are they are far from you. They are enemies. The scripture says, enemies of the of the cross, and that's a hard thing for us to fathom mm. when we think that an enemy of the cross is someone in that much more need of love. So, help us, Lord, continue to gospelize us throughout this holiday season. Help us to be mindful of opportunities to pay attention and to seek and to be able to uh, minister to uh, our unbelieving friends and family and of course and perhaps above all Lord to one another in the body oh, and first and foremost Lord to you with the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise help us in our time this morning to edify one another glorify your name through Christ Amen, Amen. well before I get a little bit more into the sort of things that we need to be aware of as we respond to what's going on in the news right as we continue to look at uh I guess, for lack of a better title, the Bible and the news, um, the things that are always the talk of the day, and how we respond, and not just in terms of what should our, what should, not just in terms of what we should think, but how do we arrive at how we're thinking about things? What's going on behind the scenes as we come to certain conclusions about what we see going on in the world? What's our first reaction? You've got to pay attention to those first gut reactions, to those sort of visceral reactions you have. They tell a lot. They tell a lot, and in a in a few moments' time, we can subdue our emotions and restrain them. And sometimes our initial response emotionally is good, but other times it will show us exactly what's going on inside. That's what we've got to pay attention to. Before we get a chance to lie to ourselves about it, before we get a chance to cover up for ourselves, before ourselves, and excuse ourselves, pay attention to that first sort of thought that you have. So, so Sort of like this. To, how, how does you... Your heart respond to this. Swedish Lutherans urge use of gender-neutral words for God. That was in the news this week. So before we get into some more of how we should respond and why do we respond and you know what what biblical uh, what does God reveal to us in His Word about ourselves as we sort of are deflecting and reflecting things. This was in Stockholm. The Church of Sweden is using its is urging its clergy to use gender-neutral language when referring to the supreme deity, referring from using terms like Lord and He in favor of the less specific God. Um, the move is one of several taken by the National Evangelical Lutheran Church in updating a 31-year-old handbook setting out how services should be conducted in terms of lit- liturgy, etc., etc., um, Theologically, well, the Archbishop of the... Apparently, this is a, a good-sized church. It's 6.1 million baptized members in a country of 10 million in Sweden. And it's headed by a woman, Archbishop Antje Jacqueline, J-A-K-E-L-E-N. Jacqueline told Sweden's TT news agency a more inclusive language had already been discussed at the 86th conference, and she says, quote, Theologically... For instance, we know that God is beyond our gender determinations. God is not human. So, so there's something that impacts. That's something that would impact the church. Now, it's very possible that you would see this thing just sort of come up in the news, and it would be flavored with, it would be seasoned with a sense of, looks like the church is finally getting with it, kind of sound, right? When the news reports on these things, they do so in such a way that the reality that the Church of Sweden, now a Lutheran denomination, uh, wants to 
get rid of the word Lord when talking about God because it has a particular gender, male gender sound to it, the news tends to report those things with a sense of excitement, don't they? Almost in the same way you and I might say, wow, did you see that rainbow? You know what I mean? Isn't it beautiful? And, you know, it, 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 they tend to report things like that. So, um, my, my first reactions were, were, again, when I saw this, you know, your first impulse is, for me, is just a sense of put down. You know, I just feel like I want to put them down. Okay, that's my first reaction. That's the one I have to reel back in. Right, that's the one I have to reel back in, that sense of, uh, you know, how could you be so stupid kind of thing, right? Or look at, look at how, how um, I don't want to just call it feminism because there's too many you know, men involved in it as well. Look how, look how destructive the contemporary culture's views of sexuality are to humankind and how it's infiltrated the church, which is supposed to be the pillar in support of what? Truth. The truth. Right? Not just and this, you know, we're not just giving opinions about religious matters. There's some deep truths we know that the church is the pillar. We are the support of the truth of human sexual identity. Mm-hmm. Not just about Christ risen from the dead. And I don't say that disrespectfully. It's not just about Christ risen from the dead. It's not just about I mean it's Christ risen from the dead, it's Christ crucified and risen from the dead that reconciles us to God so that our thoughts are now in line with God's and we can be more of what God created humans to be and infiltrate the world with that. So it's not just that we have an opinion. We're not just the pillar and support of the truth about the proper so-called doctrines. In a way, everything is doctrine if we want to get right down to it. But we are the pillar. We are the support of the truth of human sexual identity and, uh, um, and definition. So we have something to say about this. And the first thing that we should do in a certain sense maybe is just be sort of heartbroken that this is happening in the so-called churches of the Lord. That this kind of thing is happening. That this kind of... There's been this kind of success in um, sort of the, the, the world's thoughts about sexuality leaching into the culture. Um, so let's let's say just... Let's just say, for example, a friend brings this up to you or a coworker brings this up to you or someone says to you, hey, did you check, catch the news this morning about, uh, you know, and they know you're a Christian. So it, it might be a form of assault or it might just be looking for your, for your input. What do you say? How do you respond to this? And where does that sort of come from? How do you respond to this? I'll have to choose someone. Because, you know, you don't get the choice of being the one in the room. You know, when, when someone comes up to you and asks you this, they're not asking for someone to raise their hands in the room and say, hey, we, they just come up to you and ask you. And all of a sudden, you're just like, wow, you know? Yeah, Beth? First of all, this does not surprise me because um, Sweden is like the most liberal country mm-hmm. in Europe. And they don't, they, when a child is born, they don't even want to say whether it's a boy or a girl because mm-hmm. they don't want to influence that child. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the culture they're growing up in. Well, it is the culture they're growing up in, and that's true, but the question specifically is how do you respond to this if somebody brings it up to you, Mark? My first uh, reaction is that uh, just, it's just another uh, step down the slippery slope. Mm-hmm. And the second, my secondary thought is how long, oh Lord, are you going to let this go? Uh-huh. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I use the Bible. Any, any, if I have to answer a question, uh, I have to use something from the Bible. That's our final authority. Mm-hmm. So I have to turn to that. Mm-hmm. So if someone's like, oh, what do you think about, you know, the, like not calling God Lord or not, you know, mm-hmm. the sense God is in human, you know, there's no man or woman. Like, mm-hmm. well, Jesus told us to pray our Father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Father's a man. Right. And, you know, so that, that's where I would go. Right. Uh, uh, yes, Susan and then Bev. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It's right. Yeah. You know, even though it, I mean, now it just sounds like okay, another one, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and that, that that we are expected this is to happen. Mm-hmm. He's weeding out his truth. Yeah, and uh Maureen. I guess they will have to rewrite their Bible. I guess it's already some have get rid of Lord and get rid of He mm-hmm. to whatever they decide to put. Mm-hmm. God, like you said, that he would God. Maureen. 
Uh huh. You, and you may not ever. Uh huh. They somehow knew that I was a Christian and biblical Christian. Uh huh. I had uh, just a woman, a friend that was with us, and she started bringing up things about Catholicism, and my only answer was the Bible says. Uh huh. And I would quote what the Bible says. Uh huh. But concerning homosexuality, I worked with homosexuality with kids, people that were homosexuals. Uh I love them as people. I help them at work. They never ask. I never had one person ask me, "Do you think I'm doing the right thing?" Mm-hmm. Then I would have answered them. Mm-hmm. This is what Scripture says. Sure. Yeah. But um, I, I've never had anybody ask me what I think. Mm-hmm. Friends, relatives, <coughs> or coworkers. Interesting. Yeah. Because I think they already knew where I stood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kelly. I had this a lot because I had my mom living with me and she would watch the news and everything revolves around what she sees on the news. And oftentimes when I go to visit her and she says, well, there's been another shooting or mm-hmm. this is happening and I'll think, that's really sad. It's really sad. Mm-hmm. And then that can lead to other ways of discussing yep. it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily start with just scripture mm-hmm. because I think that shuts and builds walls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though that's where it's going to go, mm-hmm. I don't start with that because I think you're, you're limiting your opportunities. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, in, in either case, whether you're starting with Scripture or whether you begin by quoting Scripture or not, you know, in reference to what Jonathan was saying and what you're saying, you're still talking about a biblically informed mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, depending on the type of uh, discussion that it has, now, in... It, it, it really takes a lot of wisdom because you can sound, and depending on depending on the type of person you are and the way that people know you, um, you you can sound confrontational. A person can sound confrontational. You you, you can sound like. Uh, so in other words, I think we can take Jonathan's approach, and uh, mine. I don't know. My own approach might be a little bit of a. Um, if I were given the opportunity, I would hope my response would be a little bit more of a blend, somewhat of the two. But there are times, depends on who your audience is too, right? If, you, if you're talking to a Lutheran minister that asks you what you think about that, you know, first you're going to call down fire from heaven to consume him, and then you're going to have a discussion about... Go ahead. My best thing for really addressing anything, I always say, start with empathy. Uh-huh. You can never go wrong. Mm-hmm. It's to say the kind word. You can never go wrong to start with empathy mm-hmm. and let that empathy, that care and concern for the world. Because I think as Christians, we should be the ones who are most concerned mm-hmm. for the state of the world. Yep. You know, and then re, you know, recognize that you know, show that you recognize the brokenness and that you don't exactly know the answer, but you know who knows the answer. Mm-hmm. So in this particular case. <clears throat> okay, no, I'll just leave it that way. Go ahead, Tony. I thought for sure you were going to go with the Colombo approach. <laughs> well, I suppose it could, depending on, um, depending on, you know, by in, by that he's he's referring to asking certain questions and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And trying to draw out what is going on in the person to try to understand what they mean. And I probably would take someone more of that approach. Uh, my approach would kind of be, well, wait, wait. I mean, who decides? You suppose? I mean, what what has God revealed about Himself? You know what I mean? What has God revealed about Himself? And I think we always have to have that mindset of okay, we're, we're dealing with uh, there may be someone that's that we need that empathy for. It may just be that what we're seeing here is the fruit of you know Satan has been successful in getting into the church, and uh, I might have a different sense of empathy over something that seems a little more directly sort of demonically. Influenced as opposed to something that's just uninformed, um, because the, the scripture is very clear that false religion is all the it's just all the fruit of demonic influence. It just is, and there's a lot at stake. You know, we have to think in terms of well, what's at stake in terms of this? What's it, what's at stake in terms? We may not be able to define anything further. Than, well, what's at stake is there's a reason why God has chosen to reveal God in the way that God has. You know, there's a reason why it's not just arbitrary. And just say, ah. and I think we could agree. So you're right. God, God ultimately, you know, Scripture says God is spirit, but we do know for a fact that 
as Jonathan referred to, that we do pray our Father. Jesus taught him to pray Father. Jesus prayed to the Father. Jesus spoke in terms of the Father. And it, it, it doesn't really have to go around and around too much more on that. I mean, you know, uh, when Jesus did, uh, when, when, when God determined in, in the Godhead that there was going to be a incarnate, you know, a, a flesh and blood revelation of what God is like, He chose to do it as a man. So, but there's plenty of sort of, um, if you want to call them female qualities about God. Things that we would attribute to... Because remember, if, if men and women are both created in, in, uh, in God's image, a, a woman is not just a feminized man. She's got her own qualities. She's got her own attributes that reflect God more accurately in a sense than a man does. Joycelyn, you can reflect attributes of God that Todd can't for the most part, and vice versa. And that's the way it's always. That's the way it should be. It was supposed to be complement one another that way. It's the way God created us. So God does reveal Himself in terms of like a nursing mother and that kind of thing. But when it comes to talking about any sort of gender type of reference and what that means, that's the other difference too. Is there's been a re-understanding and redefinition of what the term gender is. The reason why this discussions even come up is we've lost a sense of what gender actually is. It's not a form of self-identification. It's a reality. Ooh, someone else had a hand up, and Tony. Uh, let's get John and then Tony to mix it, it up. It's very interesting when when you think of uh, where we've come and, and where the tipping point was in our understanding of gender. And mm-hmm. You know, you have to look at the the whole homosexual movement and what a really small percentage of population mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. but how powerful mm-hmm. the influence mm-hmm. is that they have in societies and cultures, be it Sweden, be it, you know, Europe, or anywhere in the West. Um, you, you don't have so much of it in African countries. I mean, right. you know, and maybe they're ahead of us in yeah. some ways in their thinking. Um, but it, it, is, it is astonishing when you think of the, of the small group of people and the power that they had to change the narrative, to change the thinking huh? of, of whole societies and cultures. And like... It's kind of like it's kind of like the anti-seed. You know, Jesus said, "If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains." Yeah. Well, it's like if you have anti-faith, you know, it's just, small things can do amazing things. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Look what a great fire a little spark sets when James is talking about the tongue. So yeah. I think the part that John's referring to is is a part of the full court press mm-hmm. that is put, being put against Christians against God. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as, I mean, it has the, uh, the support of the press. I mean, mm-hmm. and people kind of acquiesce to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I think you know to get back to what you were talking about the gender uh, re- or redefinition by words of what they're doing in uh, in, uh, in England is that it's almost like there's a separate. It, because Christ came and was a man and identified with us. And I think God used that so that we could understand mm-hmm. God better mm-hmm. through that revelation that was that we all understand. We mm-hmm. all can relate to you know, a man or, or a woman. But what's happening, in the, it seems to me, is that they're, sep- they're pulling that back so that there's less identifiable characteristics if it's, if it's not he, his father... Mm-hmm then it's something that is really we have a harder time relating to. Yep. So you sep- it's more of a separation from God, really, that's, that's the result. So, and I do all this, we're going to move on. I just do all this to say, okay, what kinds of things go through our mind? This is the exact point of this whole series and study, is what goes through our mind when we see these things? How do we think about it? And then we have to, at times, maybe get to the place where we're going to say, how do we respond? We have to, remember the lostness of the world that's a fact I mean we just have to we have to remember that the people are are lost but we might be called upon to genuinely you know we we run the danger of always thinking that love just always means and only means the orphan and the widow in some ways there are people that are intellectually orphaned and widowed (laughs) emotionally they are orphaned and widows in a way and I'm not over spiritualizing those texts I'm not saying those texts say that I'm just taking the principle that people have a lot of genuine needs that have never been properly met because they've never had um, there's never been um, there's never been responsible enough there hasn't been someone to talk to people about the way they're thinking or to sort of help them get out and I think we have an obligation as Christians to do that. Yep. 
Uh, the only thing, the only difference between the world and a blind beggar who's come to his senses and crying out for salvation to Jesus is that they don't recognize they're blind beggars and they're walking in the futility of the mind and they're not crying out. So we have to recognize that that's who we're dealing with when yes. these things come about. And we have to approach them accordingly. Um, as uh, Shannon said, empathy, compassion. On the other hand, uh, from an ecclesiastical perspective um, uh, and a doctrinal perspective, when someone puts on that collar, mm-hmm. they oh, put yeah. themselves in a whole different venue. I agree 100%. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we need to empathize too much with that person. I think we go... Because even within their own denomination... Uh, uh, it was met with a particular criticism an associate theology professor with Sweden's Lund University that the move was undermining the doctrine of the Trinity in the community with other Christian churches he nailed it right there I pray for people like that within yeah. those organizations there is a true church within yes. this that's what you pray for church. so this there's a, there's a good another another good response and it should always be a response of ours is prayer. That we see something amiss and we pray. We see something completely amiss and we pray, God, there are people. This man here, this uh, Christer Palmblad, is taking a stand for what is good and right and true. And he wants that to sort of be advancing the gospel the rest of the way. You know what I mean? He wants that to... He's taking a stand. He's saying... That the, the the doctrine of God is at, at stake. The doctrine of the Trinity and the community of the Christian churches is all at stake. Yeah. Our community. So he's concerned first and foremost with God, the nature of God. The Trinity is at stake, and our communion with the rest of the church in general. What a great! He's he's got it. He's got it in in uh, he's got it in the right order. He loves God first, and then his neighbor as himself. Morning. How you doing? Morning. Good to see you. Good. Tony. I was thinking of in uh, mind. Uh, you know, even if a Man was raised from the dead, they still did not believe. Right. And looking at it, even from a secular view, and if there's a, a baby who has male body parts, uh, we all recognize mm-hmm. that it's a male. And so to say that it's not a male mm-hmm. or to not identify it in any way, shape, or form mm-hmm. is they're just denying truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and it seems kind of funny to me that Christians have been. Um, accused of being non-intelligent um, and, and all of these other labels they're not up with the times you know all of these things and that, that's just blatant disregard for what exactly truth is and yeah. looking at it from that aspect they're looking at truth as being able to determine what it is by society and, 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 and that's yeah. part of the problem that's what we need to be aware of that's what we need to be praying about that's what we need to uh, here's a quote here. I don't know who this guy is. Uh, Derek Rishmawi. He says, It's not enough to simply defend the gospel. Present the way it interrogates the dominant unquestioned narratives of our hearers on meaning, money, sex, power, politics, gender, and so forth, and actually makes better sense of the world than any other view on offer. Mm-hmm. And I said something like this the other day to someone. What was the conversation? Oh, it just came up at the Thanksgiving table. Someone asked me if I was still preaching and teaching and whatnot, and I said I am. Um, and then they asked, "Well, where does your inspiration for sermons come from?" I said, "From the text. <laughs> it, just, it just comes from the text." And I said, "You know, uh, I forget how it went from there, but I said, you know, there's all kinds of sort of points of view on what's true about there about God, and everything. we have to ask ourselves what makes the best sense of what we see. What?" Is what, what makes the most sense? What, what best describes the evidence that we see in the world around us? What best describes sin and evil? I mean, what, what does? And I just left that out there. That's it. I mean, we're, we're having dinner. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to um, sort of capsize the whole thing. I'm not going to take over the dinner table. That's not what I'm there for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just sort of. I just passed the cranberry sauce, as it were, <laughs> right, and for someone else to sort of put on their plate and maybe be able to eat a little bit of it later on. Um, so I think he's good. What best makes sense to the world? And that's how we can ask ourselves that question when we see these things happen in the world. How, do I, how might I understand this? Well, this, it makes sense that this would be happening in the one sense, but there are those in Christianity that don't think it would be because there are some that believe we're moving towards a time and a place when... And this is, would be our 
I don't know if this would be the yeah the, I think this would be the post millennialists believe this and what that means is they believe there's going to be a time when the whole world is gospelized and there's very little trace of evil and at the end of that thousand years Christ comes back so they're post millennialists but how can that possibly be when we know from scripture and these are our brothers and our sisters in Christ so we have two different worldviews than them one that says things are going to continue to get better and the other one that things are going to get worse what best explains the evidence yeah of course what, what, what best describes the evidence that we see right now? I don't see a world getting a whole lot better in terms of its moral choices and perspectives. We're redefining what it means to be a human being. Right? And, and, and like you said, you're thinking just by sort of... Uh, by getting your body parts changed and moved around or whatever, that that's going to somehow change your fundamental essence. Is any surprise that we would think we could change a boy to a girl than we could think that we can change how the Lord has defined himself by saying we should not attribute to God masculine pronouns? One is just one step away from the other. This is not surprising. So this is why the world and this is this is the world that we're ministering in. So it's not so that we can retreat and say, Wow, we've got to keep ourselves from we gotta keep ourselves from being our thoughts from being poisoned by that which we do by going back to the scripture, by praying and by doing all the things we're doing. But we don't isolate. We don't retreat from it. Got to get right in there with it. And maybe not everyone. Maybe some people are just going to be committed to pray. You know? I mean, I think of um, Anna. She just stayed in that synagogue praying all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas Simeon, he was constantly looking for the consolation of Israel. Everyone that came along, he was probably... Because he knew he wasn't going to die before the, the Savior came. So he's getting old and tired. His bones are wearing out. So every new kid that came into that synagogue, he's like, maybe this is it. No. That's the difference between that and Anna just praying and praying and praying. <laughs> okay. Um, so again, the story, in, in John Newton's book, which our small group is going through, there's a chapter um, by this guy, Tony Renke, who's writing a book based on the thoughts of John Newton and in particular his pastoral letters to everyone that's I mean Newton just wrote letters constantly that's what he did he wrote letters to everyone all the time giving pastoral amazing he wasn't a profound preacher he wasn't you know he wasn't what we would look at today as or back then as like an Edwards or a Wesley he didn't preach profound sermons that wasn't sort of his gift he was a pastor for 38 something years but we know he was a tremendous hymn writer and he wrote wonderful letters to people and consoled and comforted and challenged them. So in this um, book, Tony Renke recognizes, he traces out seven things in particular that Newton saw were, as he calls them, seven Christian blemishes. Kind of seven different types of things or types of people that we can become. Kind of a little bit like Pilgrim's Progress, though. You should know how in Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan has a name for everyone, right? Uh, Mr. Trustworthy, Mr. Worldly Wise, Mr. etc. And he talks about a character, he talks about this blemish called querulous. That's not a person's name, it's, a, it's an adjective. Um, and this is a person, first of all, it's querulous, a person wrapped in political debates who is politically powerless. Now, querulous, that, if you look that up, it's, it's to complain in a petulant or whining manner. If you don't know what petulant is, it's just childishly sulky, okay, or bad-tempered. And he said, who is this person? Well, he says, querulous, quoting Newton, is always ready for a fight, and it's usually related to some political bickering he doesn't know about till he reads the morning newspaper. And once he reads it, he throws up his hands, moans and laments such blatant political failure, and takes to the street corner or blog or social media, in Tony's words, to vent his frustrations. That can describe a lot of Christians, and a lot of non-Christians. Not well, least among them, me. That's why I got rid of Facebook and everything else. I came to a decision in my life that I'm doing more harm than good. You know? By just... You know, like, oh, look at this. There's no better. Well, who needs that? Who needs another screaming voice? I, you know, i got to challenge myself. Who, it's Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it is, it is a wilderness. Because I might as just I'm yelling at the tree. You know what I mean? The tree doesn't even bark back. So... So we think about this, and uh, I said, "That's a, you know." He makes an interesting point there. Uh, this is a particular type of thing that we can do, especially when we don't have. Wally was mentioning last week, and I said, "Oh, I'll get back to that." 
he was mentioning, yeah, he said, you know, people that really can't even influence the process. Say, for example, people that don't even vote. You know what I mean? I, don't, I won't get off on that. The people that don't vote, they give their opinion, you know? And, and just, but I, Newton also says this, the Lord reigns. The phrase, this phrase should be printed as the lead story with bold black headlines at the top of every daily newspaper. And how often do we remember that? The sovereignty of God. Anytime we read something that's going on in the world. Now, that doesn't mean we just sort of passively sit there and say, oh, well, God willed this. I'll just let it go. I'll just sit back while sort of the public schools influence and shape our perception as to what sexual identity and gender identity is. No, I'll just sit back because after all, God is sovereign. No way, man. This is part of the spiritual battle that we're in. All the time. Um... I just want to share a few thoughts, a few words. Uh, when you're speaking about, um, he said Newton was not opposed to Christians in politics. He was opposed to ordinary Christians who engaged in unproductive political debate on the street corner with inadequate information and no political power to enact real change. For this reason, Newton refrained from talking politics. He just didn't have much to do with it. He wasn't opposed to it. As I mentioned, he was did become friends with William Wilberforce. And he ultimately did preach two sermons on uh, the abolition of slavery, not as uh, from a political standpoint, because he saw a moral perspective to it, which I'll bring out in a minute. He says, uh, from poison in politics, good Lord deliver me. I think a political spirit as hurtful to the life of God and the soul as poison is to the bodily frame. And now that might not resonate with everyone, but it does with me. I know it does. I know it does. I, I, it is literally a political spirit now. Not politics itself, and he's not talking about a demon that he names the political spirit, okay? He's not saying the spirit of Jezebel is in this room, you know? He's not taking a... He's not having a, you know, a, an on-the-fringe type, you know, uh, over-charismatic reaction. He's just talking about having this sense of mind and spirit of, of uh, constantly engaged and ready to lock and load politically. It's in the world, isn't it? There certainly is a spirit behind it. But look, what else accounts for... You can look at one particular news site and it's just like anti-Trump all day. You can look at another one and it's just pro-Trump all day. You can look at every story that's out there has a different angle to it. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, even this story that we're talking about now about the church in Sweden would come out two different ways and two different... Just... What's really getting accomplished? That, how much is he going to change? Even the average person that listens, so he might or she might become better informed, which is very important. We shouldn't speak on anything about which we're not informed. That's just stupid. We do it a lot because we just, we emote, you know. People just love to emote, Darlene. Well, I Spoke in the wheel. It's your turn. <laughs> I know we've been talking about this for a while and I was saying, oh, no, no, I'm not that influenced by the news. Hmm. Um, but since we've been talking about it, I have shut the news off. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then one day I turned it on, and I like this one particular morning show that has mm-hmm. three anchors, one man, two women. Mm-hmm. And he was let go. Mm-hmm. He was fired for for sexual harassment. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't believe how disappointed I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, because they come across so... Um, trustworthy, yep. acceptable, and, and you know, and and then I'm going, oh, maybe I am a little more influenced than mm-hmm. I thought I was. Yeah. And, you know, and that's another big thing, you know, all this, the sexual sin in the news. And, um, I hope it's not a witch hunt. I, I, I hope not either. There's a lot of things about that that, you know, I'm concerned about. But one of the things that I know that I can never do. And you know what I do when I do this? I look at everything that Christ died for me for. I look at every sexual sin I have ever been involved in. And I see it crucified with Christ. And I say, my heart has to be for that person. That person that is doing whatever they were doing, uh, they have hurt women. They have done great damage to their own soul. You can't not affect your own soul. And so... Yeah, they have to face the consequences of having done what they do. You have to take them out of the picture, so to speak. But um, that person is no worse than I am. 
the difference between me and Charlie Rose is the grace of God in that particular area. I think everyone knows who you talk about. I, I love that you uh, would like want to protect his name, but I think we probably all know who you're talking about. Because I, I do that too. I, one of the things that I do is, do we go to work and say, hey, did you hear about Charlie Rose? Or do we say, wait a minute, it, it's, it's important enough and everyone else is talking about, if this other person doesn't know it, why do I have to let them know about it? Why, why, why further let the guy be beat up or have someone else think poorly about him? Right? Why am I telling them so that they can be shocked at him and disappointed in him? Why would I do that? You know? Why is it... It doesn't have to be big news to me. And so the first thing I should do is pray for Charlie Rose and for his victims. You know what I mean? That the grace of God would find its way to them and that you know they would be able to repent of it. That they would find the true meaning of their sexuality. That they would be fulfilled and uh, you know have the grace to deal with the consequences of their actions no, oh, okay <laughs> yeah I know it's a head scratcher yeah. yes. in light of all that we're talking about it's amazing that um, God has brought forth mm-hmm. all of this sexual abuse mm-hmm. and everybody's disappointed in it mm-hmm. and um so in a way, God is showing us how bad it is. It could have been, how long it's yes. been kept secret. Yes. Yeah. But all of a sudden, it's all coming out. Yeah. And we haven't even gone back far enough to realize how bad it was. Paul makes it very clear, and you know, you too, you too lived the same way. He said you were children and sons of disobedience. You were sons of wrath. You were wrapped up in the same things that the Gentiles. He says, were. You read this in Ephesians. You were doing all the same things, yeah. and I was. And I, got, I, I'm not. Charlie's judge I can I can look at his behavior or anyone's judge Harvey Weinstein anything I can look at any of their conduct and say wow that is that is so unfortunate that we are like that I've got the gospel I have to live my life in front of women especially in such a way that they see that not every guy is a Harvey Weinstein or a potential I don't care about being thought of as a, as a potential because anyone could be a potential anything but I have to be very careful. and But it becomes an opportunity, though. I mean, as I said to a, a woman at work the other day, and this stuff has come out, I said, you know, at the end of the day, most of our deepest, darkest secrets are sexual, of a sexual nature. For, for a lot of people, uh, the things that we would most or least want found out about is something of a sexual nature that's gotten into us somehow. It's in our mind. It's in our soul. We've done something. We've thought something. We've had a particular sin, so we know. So everyone can relate. That's the point. Everyone can relate. And where do we go with it? How do we get out of this? How do you help people see that they're a prisoner? Mm-hmm. But how, can, how do you even know you're not? Right. How do I know I'm not a prisoner? Correct. Because oh. I, you know, I was watching that program, and I really, mm-hmm. that was the only news program I watched. And, uh-huh. stuff. and so I'm going, okay, then I'll start reading the newspaper. But it, it's like, I need to be informed, but what is true and what isn't for me uh, it's important enough for me to just sort of find out truth there's a difference between trying to you might have to go to a couple sources to get the best news you can Uh, there are certain Christian websites and there are non-Christian ones as well Uh, Dennis Prager is a great example Prager University on YouTube loaded with truth well uh, quantified truth Uh, he's a Jewish yeah, he's, he's a pretty devout Jew. He's got a radio program, but he's got a series of uh, videos on YouTube called Prager U. And he addresses such things. Is there really a difference between men's and women's salaries? Is there really a, you know, where does global climate change, what's that really all about? What's the science or what's the, what's the point about thus? And he's got a million and one topics, you know? Thank you. Yeah, and that's, and that's a good source. Uh, and it's honest and he has a diverse uh, people come and speak uh, like there's just little six minute videos a number of them and but they always have really good um, they always have really good resources he even has an app you can download and you can get all the resources that are mentioned so you can explore stuff out but you know as, as well as I do the thing that we have to be watching out for is the is the um, judgmental critical cynical spirit with which uh, everyone from CNN to Fox News to MSNBC comes out with. Everyone's angry. How much can you expose yourself to that? It's true, the things that... So, Sean Hannity might be speaking an awful lot of truth. Sean Hannity's a pretty angry guy. Uh, you know, on the other side, um, 
What was that woman? Oxford scholar. She's a brilliant woman. Rachel Maddow. I, I couldn't watch her for three minutes. I couldn't. Because I don't align with her way of thinking. I can, But I can connect with... I, don't, I can't connect with her rage, but I can connect with Sean Hannity's rage. Oh, okay, great. So where does that get me? Right? So... Again, this is I can. There is Christian liberty in all of this. Uh, so, depending on your own constitution, what you know, how, what you're like, how are you going to respond to what's going on in the world? Sometimes you just have to know how do I not respond. So, yeah, you can be devastated, but it's a human being, you know. And he was, by all means, one of the most respected people, as, I, as I'm told. I've never really followed or known that about him, but. You know, great interviewer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They've said things about him forever and ever that way. Um, and see, I, but we live in a world where you can't even say what news program you watch because that immediately puts you in a particular category. So I'm not going to say, oh, I can't watch ABC. Those people are nuts. Oh, I can't watch Good Morning America. Those people. Are, all you're doing is throwing walls up all over the place. Everyone's walking around. We don't have to worry about Trump building a wall. We're erecting walls constantly. As individuals, constantly throwing walls up in our response to what's going on in the world around us. It's got to change. Um, what does this look like in the Daily News? Another quote from John Newton. Um, let's see. Well, how about this? He, so this is when he was talking about... Uh, he was in a letter to a friend. Again, he explained why he preached a particular message on the abolition of slavery. And this is what he said. He says, he explained this to a friend, because if abolition fails to pass, quote, I shall fear not only for the poor slaves, but for ourselves. For I think if men refuse to vindicate the oppressed, the Lord will take their cause into his own hands. And the consequences may be dreadful, both abroad and at home. Whatever mischiefs may arise from hurricanes, insurrections, etc., etc., I shall attribute to this cause. And in his mind, Newton said, hurricanes, devastation, I will attribute this to the fact that humankind is not looking out for the oppressed. And he said, from a moral standpoint, not political, but this is why, he says, I preach, found it important to preach on it, because he was basing his text on Jeremiah 2, 34-35, which I did not look up. But he said, I don't fear just for the poor slaves, but for all of us. Because if we don't, if men refuse to vindicate the oppressed, the Lord will take their cause into his own hands. And so my question is, can we look at any of the issues we regularly see in the news this way? And if so, how do we respond? And I start in my own mind with abortion. If, if, no, if everyone just sits by and does not do something, if we refuse to vindicate the oppressed, can, is it possible? I don't know. Is it possible that God lets massive... Maybe what's happening in terms of, well, it's not happening, but let's suppose someone is saying and advocating for everything that happens in the weather as a result of global climate change, whether it's colder or hotter. It's a, it's a great argument, isn't it? No matter what happens. It's, but what if it's not? What if God is just becoming increasingly angry about the fact that we're sitting back letting abortion happen all the time? Would God now? I can't. I can't publicly speak and say that. I could perhaps suggest it in some way if I handle it just the right way, depending on the audience. But I can't be like a, you know, God rest his soul, Jerry Falwell was. You know what I mean? Or or Pat Robinson. You know, we can't look at the twin towers coming down and not ask about homosexuality. Oh, thanks, Pat Robinson, for just making my job a lot harder at work. Despite whatever other good he may do. You know. Did you have a yeah, okay, no? sorry. Oh, you did. Sorry, I'm Susan. It's sorry. funny you said that because when, um, when the hurricane struck Houston, mm -hmm. the first thing that came to my mind was, I wonder if God's doing this mm -hmm. because we just seem so divided. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's doing it to, to see, like, are you going to help? Yeah. So to, to strip us of everything and leave us with our to, to, to strip away all the and, and help us to once again touch our common humanity. Doesn't God have the right to do that if He wants to? I'm not saying that He does, but if He turned around and told me I did that for that reason, what could I do but fall down on my knees and thank Him for sparing my family, but help us to learn from it? Ah, uh, let me see here. Um, because of their unfaithfulness, unkindness. 
the people in the world mourn uh, because of their sin uh, they languish in the world mm-hmm. um, the fish in the sea the birds of the sky the beasts of the field mm. disappear mm-hmm. yeah and there's that you could say there's that synergistic connection between mm. sin oh yeah and synergistic <laughs> sin the world's ability to huh? breathe or suffocate under that sin oh definitely and, w- and that's that's another point of the lesson, you know. Uh, look at the great compassion that what Jesus said there. The people were like sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. His heart broke for people, for everyone. I, there's a sense in which I got to see Jesus' heart breaking for everyone. How did his heart not even break for just the not for just the elect? His heart had to break for everyone. He's a human. He was God, man. He was, you know what I mean? He was like, he was the living, walking, breathing. Sleeping, talking, eating, incarnation of compassion and love and mercy. Wow. And I do want to be a lot more like that than I am. And I know you do too. So we have to remember when we see these things in the world, also 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. What you see in the news a lot is a warfare being engaged in the flesh. Okay, but... The weapons of our warfare have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's what the gospel does. I was reading something this morning in Milton Vincent's a Gospel Primer. And he was saying, made the point that power is not attributed to anything else. He says, lightning, thunderstorms that we see in Scripture, massive volcanoes. The word power is never connected with those, but it's always connected with the gospel. And it's always connected with Jesus. And I thought, wow. And he said, how powerful, therefore, must it be so, he says, Paul goes on to say, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So, whatever we see in the world, whatever we find ourselves engaged in, if there are arguments that are coming out that are contrary to who God is and what He has revealed, we, through the gospel, are destroying those because they are leading to false knowledge of God and the gospel leads to right knowledge of God. So we're just, and we're in our prayers and what we might share with the world, taking every thought captive to obey Christ, submitting it to Christ. This is the, I think this is the fulfillment of our mandate given in the garden to take dominion, for humankind to take dominion. We can't do that as humans, but we can take every thought captive to obey Christ, who is what a human was intended to be, right? So he does. He is He is ultimate. So we can. We should be taking dominion in the world that we're in. Now, that doesn't mean we lord it over people, or we criticize unnecessarily, or we... Uh, good morning, brother. Good morning. How are you? Or, uh, well, how are you doing? Doing well. Good, good. Praise good God for that. <laughs> well, so, um, we... We can, we we have to be careful how we do it. We can't be again lording it over people and that kind of thing. But we should, in every sphere of life, the church, not every person, because again, you might be a prayer person. You, you might just, I mean, I'm outspoken and to the point almost of belligerent. Whereas my wife would never even, she'd be very careful to give her thoughts on something like that. That doesn't mean she's not concerned about it. This means she's going to process that differently than I am. Uh, but the church together has dominion over the world. So we should be influencing public policy to the extent that we can by bringing truth to it, by being loving and compassionate, by not waging warfare according to the flesh, by prayerfully getting guidance, by all these things. The church together as a, as a whole. Because many of us aren't going to go and shouldn't go into politics. Um, it takes... Well, nowadays, yeah, it does take a certain type to get into politics. Um, I don't want to be the type of person that could be say, "Yeah, he's the type of person that should be in politics." You know, I don't want that. I used to want that. I always wanted that for years. My goal was to be a United States senator, and that was my goal for years as a young guy. I wanted to be a lawyer, then I wanted to be. United. I didn't want to be president. I just wanted to be a senator for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but it. it and I've been involved in local politics, and you have to be a person that's you have to have certain sort of attributes, qualities about you that aren't better than someone else's. They're just the necessary qualities to interact with people, to present an argument, to you know, to sort of 
calm things down when they're getting nuts. But we need to be a praying people about all of these things. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't think going to go any further than this. Um, but other than to just encourage us this week to keep in mind, next week I'll, I'll bring up a few more examples of things that are out there that I've read. Maybe you see something. But when I see those headlines, or I, if you're inclined to social media, how do you respond considering 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5? The weapons of my warfare are not carnal. Okay? They're not of the flesh. But I have divine power to destroy strongholds. First in my own mind. I can't let these things, you know, t- take me captive. I-, I-, I can't. And one of the ways we get taken captive is when our emotions, our attitudes, our responses look just like the world's. So I, I can't do that. You can't do that. So every headline I see, this I have to keep in mind. The power of the gospel to prevent me and other people from being poisoned in a sense. And rescued. Rescued. How do we get people rescued? You know, Because a lot of people are prisoners. <clears throat> <All right. clears throat> uh, who wants to pray for us? Maureen, thanks. Would you pray for us to close us out? Good. to give us your word. The truth is living, is powerful. Help us, Father, to use it where you put us, each one of us, where we are in a different place. With wisdom. I thank you for this lesson. I thank you for the love we have for one another. But I thank you for our love for those that we know, our workmates, our families that don't know you. You know, Lord, I thank you that those of us that are long in the tooth with you, Father, they know that our stance is different than theirs. But let us be holy people before them, righteous people before them, having the word in season and out of season. Help us to live such that they would want to know what we know and and know about our lives. Thank and pray you'll be with us as we go upstairs. We will worship you. You are worthy of all worship in our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Open our hearts again today. Prepare us, Father. And you know, if you find as we go through these things, you think, gee, I've already sort of blown my testimony among certain people. And, and that's not the end of the matter. That's not the end of the matter. Even if you sort of, yeah, that's not the end of the matter for them. I mean, God's not. I haven't had a friend give up on me, and I've yeah. yeah. God did just fine before we came along. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. I pray before I go and say, Lord, give me the opportunity. Sometimes I do. I've had a chance to bring them to Calvary two or three times. God did not open the Listen, I'm, I'm at the point with this one particular co-worker because I've been working in the right next office to her now for a year where a couple of years ago I said something that I know set her off and it was deliberate because she had slammed men. She had made some slam on men and so I just came back with, um, you know, but now I'm at the point where I can say to her, as I said the other day, 